three, two, one, check, check. With your chest, with your chest. Check, check. There you mm-hmm. go. There, there it is. is. There it is. <laughs> check. Yeah. <laughs> That's after a lot. <laughs> I've got to read his story for you, though. If you Okay, yeah. Go ahead, tell it. I mean, man. Oh, he called me at 11.30 at night. I was about ready to go to bed, and he said, Corbs, what you doing? I said, about ready to go to bed. What do you mean? <laughs> he goes, you ever look at yourself on that mirror, on that wall? I said, what are you talking about? He says, do you ever look at yourself as you drive by that wall? I said, what are you talking about, Reed? He goes, you know, that picture of you, that painting on that wall. And I said, do I ever look at myself? He says, yeah, yeah, you know you look at yourself. He goes, what do you think when you see yourself on that wall? I go, Reed, I'm hanging up the damn phone. (laughs) He goes, no, I'm serious. I just want to know what you think. I know you look at it. You stare at it, don't you? I go, you're... You're screwing with me. I said, I'm getting off the phone. 1130 at night. 1130 at <laughs> night. It was just what was moving in his mind. Welcome back to the 2% Podcast. I'm Keanu Finchers here with Ro Coleman, Harrison Ray. Another special guest, very, very special guest today. Goat. Uh, he won't say it, but we will say it. We got the, the goat in the house. Oh. You know, we got the goat with us. Uh, I, don't even, I can't even say all of the accomplishments. You know, it's too long. We got two national championships on his belt. I can't count the amount of SEC tournament appearances, postseason appearances, World Series appearances. Coach of the years. Coach of the years. First rounders. First rounder. You know, the list keeps going. You know, we got Coach Tim Court in the building with us. What's up, Coach? Hey, Key. How you doing? Hello, <laughs> guys. Well. All right, man. Let's uh, so on the 2%, man, we talk about just the journey, the process. Mm-hmm. We talk about how rare it is for young athletes that actually make it to the Division One level, mm-hmm. and only 2% across male, female, all sports from field hockey to basketball to wrestling, mm. 2% make it to Division One. And so we're highlighting that and just the process with the work that goes into it to be at that next level. And so as a coach and as a former player yourself, kind of walk us through your journey because only pe- most people know you for Vanderbilt, mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're 20 plus years at Vanderbilt. They don't see, they don't know about the, the years prior, you know. So kind of talk to us about that. Your first coaching journey, high school, mm-hmm. coach, then Presbyterian. Yep. And yeah. Well, you brought me up to speed on the 2%. I needed to know yeah, that. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, so now, now I'm in line with that. Uh, everyone has a story. I mean, I grew up in New Hampshire, uh, you know, like Roe from the Midwest. I know you guys, Nashville and Florida. But I think growing up north, at least, uh, what that did for me is uh, sports become very seasonal. You know, mm-hmm. in the fall, it's football. Winter, it's basketball or hockey. In the spring, it's it's baseball. So I was married to whatever sport was uh, in season. Uh, I probably had more an affinity for football and hockey, to be honest with you, early. But could play baseball, and that allowed me to, to go to college. And so um, going to college, Division three, Ohio Wesleyan, uh, played a small school. I think the most unique part about going to Ohio Wesleyan and Division three school was I was a student football coach in the fall and played baseball during the spring. So I get to coach at a very, very early age. And the, the truth of the matter is I knew I was going to be a teacher or a coach, whether it was an elementary school teacher, high school teacher, or a high school coach. I felt like that was what I was going to do. And um, 
I, I started off as a high school baseball coach at my own high school, Kingswood High School, which is in New Hampshire. Uh, went from there, got my master's degree at Ohio State because I wanted to further my schooling, felt like it could help me, became a graduate assistant there in, uh, in baseball, shared an office with Rick Barnes, mm. the now Tennessee basketball yeah. coach. Mm -hmm. He was a graduate assistant in basketball there, uh, was in classes with Urban Meyer, uh, so you know was was yeah name dropping hey. for sure. Uh, there are a lot of good coaches in that environment, but went from Ohio State to Wofford College. Wofford College was uh, a great experience for me because I just went to the athletic director and kind of begged my way on campus. Mm. He gave me a fundraising position internship and became a graduate assistant baseball coach back then too. Uh, and then after one year, got the unique opportunity to start a college baseball program at Presbyterian College, yeah. which was back then key was NAIA. Um, and in the time that I went there, it went from NAIA to Division Two, and now has since gone Division One with Elton mm -hmm. Pollock, yeah. who played for me and now is uh, a longtime coach there. And mm -hmm. uh, from Presbyterian... Uh, ended up going to Clemson University for nine years, was an assistant to Jack Leggett. Last staff was Coach Leggett, myself, Kevin O'Sullivan, the head coach at Florida, and Eric Backich, now the head coach at Clemson. So we had quite a staff back then. That was my last year, and then took the position here in the summer of 2002. Um, had some opportunities well before that, but I, I knew that I needed seasoning and growth and maturity as a coach. Loved Coach Leggett, loved Clemson. Uh, but when Vanderbilt, Fresno State was one position that we considered leaving Clemson for, but we didn't. And when Vanderbilt came available, we uh, visited here and loved it and felt like this was the right fit in terms of academics mm -hmm. and athletics. And certainly, you know the rest. Mm -hmm. Been here 21 years now. Yeah. So nice journey. And talk to us just about the struggle of, uh, not even the struggle, this is your stories of being at Presbyterian, mm -hmm. you know, and your position there, where you stay, yeah. your living quarters, and mm -hmm. how you actively involved in building up that, the field, uh, the team, everything. Well, you're starting from scratch. I mean, I was a dorm director, so I wasn't paid to coach. I was paid to be a dorm director, and that pay was basically room and board. Mm. So there weren't a lot of finances, and I, I didn't have any. Uh, not that I needed any, because I think when you're young and uh, really centered on what you're doing, which was at age 23, 24, I didn't need anything. I mean, all mm -hmm. I wanted to do was just get out on the ball field, but we didn't have a field. So, you know, this this program was starting baseball, which meant you had to recruit players within the school, which if you're recruiting players within the school because you don't have a summer to recruit, then you, you probably got a pretty good idea. You're not going to be very Slow good. Pickings. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we scheduled 25 games first year, all on the road. Uh, I was the only coach. And I, I think, you know, it was difficult, but yet it was probably the best learning experience for me because when you're the only coach, you're developing a program, you're also the academic advisor, you're also the equipment manager, you're everything. And we took a recreation field and we made it into a baseball field, obviously no fence, no benches, no nothing. But we spent a lot of time out there and um, 
knowing that I was going to be the only coach, what I did is brought groups in individually. So we brought the mm -hmm. pitchers and infielders and outfielders and catchers. And then when back then NAIA, there's no rules. Yeah. I mean, so you could stay out there as long as you did want to. And we did. Um, and what we did at night is I had the kids park their car behind the, the intramural field and turn on their lights so we could so we could practice outside. Well, out the moon. So <laughs> we made we made use of our resources, but we built the field the next year. And I say we because it was me and the grounds crew laid sod, built, uh, learned how to lay brick. Uh, mm. I just think there were so many, so many things that I learned that I never knew and understood. I didn't knew nothing about Bermuda grass because that's a southern grass, not a northern grass. Didn't know it crawled. Uh, which Bermuda grass does. So just little small things and understanding red clay and understanding sand and understanding the nuances of really how to build things mm -hmm. and be, uh, you know, be a landscaper. I, I really, really enjoyed it. It was a, a wonderful opportunity. Difficult at the time, uh -huh. but very fulfilling and very gratifying. 100%. Now, fast forward just a little bit to, mm -hmm. to Clemson. You're there for nine years, mm -hmm. I believe. Yep. And so recruiting coordinator mm -hmm. at Clemson, we know the stories, but I kind of want the public just to know, um, especially like high schoolers, middle schoolers like coming up and like your mm -hmm. recruiting process, there's a particular story that you told us in the classroom. Um, not to say the player's name, but mm -hmm. he's uh, went to go see him, like a hot shot type of guy, mm -hmm. went to go see him and... I'll let you finish the rest of that story because very we enjoyed it in the yeah. classroom. I think it's very important for others and parents too to hear this type of story. Well, I, I told the story. I still tell it during camp because I, I want kids to understand how important the character piece is to their development as a player and also understanding that someone is watching always. Mm -hmm. And Coach Leggett asked me to go see this player who he had already seen and he already had a like a number value in his mind for what he was going to offer the kid. But because I was new, he wanted to see, he wanted my evaluation of him. So went off and, and saw this kid play, very gifted kid. But I got there early enough to where I could see this kid enter the dugout, communicate with his teammates, and uh, start, start the progression of getting ready for a game. Well, as I, as I sat there and watched him, I was right up next to the backstop. Uh, I could see that he wasn't integrating with his teammates early, and he was pretty much to himself. When he needed a throwing partner, he threw with his partner. Um, they didn't take BP, but they took infield, outfield, and I could see there was a lot of talent. But uh, long story short, as the game progressed, his first at bat, he hit a double. Second at bat, he was getting on deck circle. And at that point right there, I was right near the fence, and he looked up at his mom, who was sitting above me, and he just did this. He just went, need something to drink. And I guess the water in the dugout wasn't good enough. So anyway, <laughs> she came down with a Gatorade, and she came down to the fence, and he just reached over the top of the fence. I remember you had, it was, the fence was probably about seven feet high. And she reached over to him and she gave it to him. And he took the cap off, drank it, and then he barely put the cap back on. And then he just dropped the Gatorade at her feet. Hmm. And it hit the ground. She picked it up. I could tell she was knew that she was being seen by everyone. So she acted embarrassed and then 
went back up, but he never said please. He never said thank you. Then he went up and took his at bat. And within minutes of that whole situation going down, I actually left. And I said, that was it. Go back the next day, travel back. It was about a, a three and a half hour drive from where I was coming from. Saw Coach Leggett in the office the next morning. He said, what did you think? I said, really talented. Going to play and probably <laughs> going to play for a while. And he said, good. I, I thought you would see that. He goes, what number would you put on him? And I just went, zero. <laughs> he says, come on, Corpse. How much are you going to put on him? I said, zero. He said, you really like him as a player? I said, I like him as a player. I said, but, and I told him the story, proceeded to tell him the story. And I said, if he can do that to his life teammate, mm. I said, he can easily do that to you. And he's easily going to be able to do that to me. I said, you don't want this young man in our program. So he went on my instinct, which I thought for him was big at the time because I was new to the position. Um, that kid ended up playing for a college team. He did well individually. The team never went to a regional while he was there. He was there for three years, got drafted high, left that program, ended up getting to the big leagues within three years, and in seven big league years, played for nine teams. And I said to myself, you know, what, what goes around comes around. I mean, that, those actions were in yeah. there. Those fibers were in there. And I think when it gets right down to it, the moral of the story is your character is just as important as anything that you do on the playing field. And if, if you, can't tap in what, you can't tap into your physical skills if the character piece is not in place. 100%. That's right. You talk about character... As we get into your transition to Vanderbilt, everybody sees 2022. They see the million dollars facility. They see the mm -hmm. college world series. They see the draft pick, pick leaguers and all of that. But when you got there, mm -hmm. it wasn't like that. Right. Can you speak on how you were able to bring a successful culture environment to a school like that in such a short amount of time, actually? Well, yeah, I think in looking back, we were consistent uh, 2003 was the first year. 2004, we were two games away from going to Omaha. That probably was mm. too quick because I think sometimes Jeez. when you work that quick, you feel like, <laughs> <this> okay, <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then you, you sometimes think that it's always going to go that way. Mm. And it didn't. 2005, we dipped. And then 2006, we started working back up again. But I think to your question, Ro, it's more about creating the right environment. I think cultures over time, environments right now, and environment is is the people and the place. And for me as a younger coach, and back then I was age 40, it was just establishing a way of doing things and um, being organized mentally. And if you were going to practice or train, there was a way to do that. And nothing against the the kids that came before or the coach because I, I don't want to speak that way and because I think a lot of coaches sometimes come in going I'm going to change the culture I think being a step parent allowed me to get into that situation and blend and the reason I say that is because when I met Maggie and met the girls you know it wasn't like I was coming in and trying to be a parent right away if I tried to do that they would have said no you know what we were pretty good without you we don't need you and I felt like that experience for me at least when I went into the Vanderbilt situation was like they didn't need me but yet at the same time I didn't ask for them either and that's mm -hmm. like a step parent yeah. 
So it was more about blending my personality into theirs so they could, first of all, trust me as a person. And then once they developed trust in me, then I felt like I could teach what I felt were habits of successful people and successful players. I think had to establish that first. That took time. That first team was a lot of fun to coach because they were very pliable. They were willing to listen because they felt like, okay, this guy's coming from Clemson. Uh, whether he can coach or teach or not, he's been part of a good program. So he's probably bringing something with him. Uh, but they had to, they had to see how I was going to operate, how I was going to treat them, how, what my work ethic was like. And, uh, I tried to model everything that I spoke to for them. Um, but it, 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 it took time, but that, that first year we went to, the SEC tournament for the first time in 15 years. So that hmm. really jump-started our program. It was a guy named Worth Scott, hit a walk-off home run against Tennessee, very last game mm -hmm. that catapulted us to go to Birmingham. We talked about it at the beginning of the year. We actually talked about visualizing that moment, and it happened. So I think when that happened, we started to develop program confidence. And when we developed program confidence, a bunch of them went off to the Cape that summer. They had success. So I felt like 2004 was going to be a good year for us, and it was. But I think what it did is at least we started, we developed a, a name inside of the SEC where, okay, Vanderbilt's building a baseball program. Maybe that's a program potentially for me because we've got a lot of no's. Eric Backich. Uh, was our recruiting coordinator, and he worked so hard just to try to get kids on campus, but it was very difficult because they just didn't trust the program. It didn't have a lot of success, mm -hmm. which I understand. But once we got one, we got two. Once we got two, we got four. And then it started building a little bit. And you guys played at Vanderbilt. You, you played after a time where the program started to kind of settle into some type of consistency. And I think if, if you said, what's the thing that personally I'd be most proud of at Vanderbilt is consistency. We've just been consistent with our program and consistent with guys that have played in it like you, you, you folks. Yeah. So I guess the, the biggest thing for me, like I hear a lot in the different stops you've been at now that, I wonder, like, where the discipline and the structure and, like, characteristics, where has, did that come from with you? Was that something that you always had coming up? Was that something from your parents, or was it yeah. from a stop you had at some point? When did that really start to click to you, like, okay, this is something that's important that needs to be harped on? Because you talk about it all the time with mm -hmm. your programs now, that those are big keys that have to be there for you. Well, I, I felt like I was disciplined myself, particularly when it came to sports. I can't always say that academically. I think I was a good student, but my mind was never there. I remember being in school, and you probably can visualize the same things. I was always thinking about, okay, when school's over, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a beeline to the rank, or I'm going to make a beeline to the court or field or what have you. So I was always thinking of sports. Actually, as a young kid... I was a, I started a street hockey league at age 12 and I, I say, I, I, I did, I built it, I, yeah. I built the league. And so I was always someone that wanted to oversee something and organize it. So I think that was innate in me, but I think the discipline piece came from my own experiences as a student athlete, but also watching other coaches that I really looked up to. I mean, back then, I really looked up to John Wooden. Mm. I mean, John Wooden was front and center when it came to winning basketball coaches, but doing it in a way what, that 
was a little bit unique. I loved Bobby Knight, but Bobby Knight was very polarizing for a lot of people because he was very, he was tough, he was firm, he was physical. You know, probably how he was as a coach back then probably wouldn't be seen as positive today, but yet he was very successful and very beloved. But there were parts of him that I enjoyed. And then there were some baseball coaches out there that I looked at too. But I was very curious. I asked a lot of questions and I paid attention. And I knew that even if I wasn't going to teach and coach at the college level, I paid attention to a lot of pro professional coaches and what little college coaches that I knew. Because back then, TV wasn't a big deal. I mean, you had three or four stations. You didn't have internet. You didn't have yeah. resources that we all have today where everyone's very visible. Mm -hmm. So I read a lot. I paid attention. And... Uh, I think my master's program was very beneficial to me because I started really discovering things that I've never discovered before. But I, I just always looked at really good programs and studied them. So I did. I, even as a young kid, I looked at programs and go, OK, I want to run a program like that. But I got bits and pieces from a lot of different people. But I think my discipline was just myself because I was just married to activity, physical activity in sports. Gotcha. Yeah, um, transitioning. What's the importance of that first meeting of the school year? You know, mm. we get that email in the summertime, be here in the classroom at mm. this specific time. And one that sticks out to me was like 3.07 mm -hmm. p.m., yeah. you know? And to us, it's like, why 3.07? Why not 3 o'clock? <laughs> why not? maybe 3.10. Why not just 3.30, like just regular 3.15, 3.07, you know? And so, but just that and like just the... Mm the longest meeting of the year. It's like two hours plus, you know, so mm -hmm. the importance of that meeting. Well, the 307, because you still remember it. Yeah. And so it stays in your mind. And, you know, 3 o'clock, 3.30, we've all been to 3 o'clock, 3.30s, right? Yeah. 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 But 307 sticks because it's mm -hmm. so, so unique and so different. So that was number one. I think number two, you're setting a tone. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think any time that you go into something you, you want to set a tone for its importance, its structure. And really, as, as much as you're not trying to teach every little foundation, you're setting a foundation. Mm -hmm. you're, you're setting the first block or however you visualize what a foundation looks like. You're creating that the very first day. But I always felt like within that first meeting, you, you, you all know, we never spoke about baseball one time. No. It was everything but baseball because I really wanted to set a precedent for what was important inside the program. And if you can communicate that inside of a first meeting, then you can work from that foundation thereafter. Mm -hmm. And I felt like we we're just setting up the fall or setting up the season by just incorporating standards and values and just intentional thinking during that first meeting. And if you leave it, you go, okay, well, he, he certainly is set a tone or at least mm -hmm. however you would have left that meeting. But at least for me, it's, it's a way to reflect back on, it's a starting point. It's a starting point of where we can go from that point moving forward. And because there was no baseball, I wanted the people inside that room to understand that, okay, building a winning program has a lot to do with baseball, but at this moment right now, it's everything but baseball. Right. And character and foundational skills are important to this program. And yeah. that's the tone setter. Okay. Before Rogue goes, I wanna 
I, I remember my first meeting mm -hmm. and it was freshmen always sit up front, freshmen up front and and so forth. And so front row and guy rest his soul, you know, it was Donnie Everett. Mm -hmm. And and this is a guy, for people who don't know, this is a guy who turned down a lot of money to come to school. Yeah. Okay. He could easily could have gone to go play, wanted to come and play at Vanderbilt. And so I believe Donnie's at the end of the table towards the office area. And I just remember him biting his nails. And I know Corps, he's talking to us and then he just he just stops. Am I boring you? You know? And he goes, We don't need you here. You can leave, you know. And as a freshman who did not turn down millions of dollars to go to school, I'm like, oh, if he talks like that to him, <laughs> right? I'm like, oh my goodness, you know? So setting the tone for mm -hmm. sure, you know, to like to tell a guy like that, you know, and Donnie, of course, is just clueless, you know, mm -hmm. what's going on. And so- Happy-go-lucky, right, kid, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, no, man, what's going on? But like, mm -hmm. that, something like that, like setting the tone and went down the line to everybody else, you know, mm -hmm. like, okay, I better, it's, it's real, mm -hmm. you know, so. I just wanted to tell that story. That's uh, it was funny, but not, not, not at the time. It was very serious at the time, you know. But uh, well, I think it brings a point too. And you talked about the first meeting. And I mean, it, it cut you off, but I think uh, a a lot of what I also want to do in that first meeting is because it's longer. I, I tell you folks that because I don't. I don't. If we're going to speak about something, I want to make sure that they understand, I don't want to speak just to speak. If we're going to say something, it, it has meaning and it has value. And for the receiver, it's just the first lesson on how to listen. Mm. And I've always told them listening, listening skills are the most important thing that you can recover inside of an educational environment or our environment. But listening skills are all about your eyes. It, it, your eyes show the respect of the person that is speaking. So in the case of Donnie or anyone a, a lot of over the years is I guess just learning how to communicate but also and that being me but also communicate watch watch the room and try to read the room while you're communicating which takes time that wasn't a first or second year thing that's that's over time but I enjoy doing that but it also it, it just you know keeps keeps the room consistent yeah, 100%. you talk about when we look inside a Vanderbilt environment, mm -hmm. it's very diverse from women, yeah. players from all different states, mm -hmm. socioeconomic backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Why is that so important to you? Mm -hmm. I think when you sat down in my office the first time you came with R.J. Fergus, I, I'm, I, I, I hope, and I think I did, I, I talked about the education that you gain inside of Vanderbilt, but I felt like the best education, and still do to this day, the best education you folks get is the education of knowing people that are different than you. And I felt like developing a roster, going back to the first year we were there, we wanted to construct a roster that had uniqueness to it, not only different ethnicities, but different genders. So having females that could serve a position, because with that comes the respect of other people, other beliefs, other influences, 
uh, upper class, middle class, lower class, uh, haves, have nots, uh, believe in religion, don't believe in religion. I just think there's so many qualities of growth that happen on teams. If you're on a team, you have been given a gift because there's so many mm-hmm. kids in life that go through life that have never been on a team. And they might not even know what a team is because they might be an only child or have one or two, you know, another sibling. But understanding how to give, how to receive, how to act, uh, just the general awareness of an 18, 19-year-old male inside of an environment where people are so uniquely different is the best education you can give them. So to the question, it's, it was that. that It was that uh, uh, immediately. Uh, and then I also felt like we wanted to be recognizable to young kids that, okay, Vanderbilt, their baseball program you you can come from anywhere. You can be anyone. You can be a Jewish kid from New Hampshire. You can be an Italian kid from New Jersey. You can be a black kid from Chicago. You can be a Latin kid from Puerto Rico. You think about all the different influences and people that have been inside of our program because there's going to be a young kid that's 10 or 11 years old that's going to be looking at that program and say, I see me. I see me. And because I see me, I know that I have an opportunity to play at that place. And I always wanted that. I always wanted that for, for Vanderbilt because I, in, in so many ways, wanted to mirror our program on the university too because the university is so diverse too. Every, every state, so many different parts of the country in the world are represented at Vanderbilt. And I wanted our baseball program to reflect that. That's, that's real. That's, that's something you don't hear a lot. And you don't see a lot yeah. with a lot of these other schools and other places and who, who may not. But I think a big thing for me that I took from my time there was just the the amount of detail you put into, like, pushing pushing people's limits. Like, mm-hmm. getting people to get to that limit that they don't understand. Mm-hmm. And so, to me, I guess the question more is, like, what is that, like, mental toughness, what does that mean to you? Why do you find that so important to to get to, 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 to try to find people and find, find out how much they have and what, they, what, they, what, can, what can they get to? I don't think you can get past your limits unless you have someone there that can help you. I, I think we as people are motivated at different levels, every single one of us. And your motivation can take you so far. But the energy of resources, other people, a coach can bring you past those limits that you've never discovered more because they see in you uh, a level that you can get to that you couldn't get to by yourself. And whether that's by prodding, whether that's by uh, setting out a, a program or a structure that there's no allowance for you know, giving in, you, you can't give in, you can't give up, you got to keep pushing, you got to keep pushing, regardless of what it is. I, I've always felt like the best coaches in my life, and probably it's selfish, it's selfish, selfishly motivated, the best coaches in my life were the firmest, they were the toughest, yes. but I loved them. And the reason I loved them is because I found my self-esteem and confidence by them prodding me and pushing me in areas that I never pushed and prodded myself, nor did my parents. So I felt like uh, Bill Hatt, football coach, Kimball Union Academy, 
he was so tough with me. But to this day, I said his name like it was he was coaching me. He just he was on me at every turn. But yet at the same time, I always remember him after a game, always coming up to me and putting his arm around me. And I always felt like I get to the point where I was trying to please him. You know, it wasn't because I just felt like I was trying to please him. But at the same time, while I was pleasing him, I was raising my level as a person. I was raising my level as an athlete because he was asking me to do something I'd never been asked to do before. So I always I always I guess I felt that I felt that that was okay. That's how you do it. Not necessarily his way, but in a way that you, you know, sometimes and you know this, I mean, you're going to have kids, all of you. And at some point in time, you're going to have to challenge your kids that is sometimes uncomfortable for you, but you know instinctively, but that's what you've got to do. You got to get there with them. You got to get them sometimes to those uncomfortable moments where you're pushing them to do something that they need, whether it's to walk away from, say, no, no, you got this yourself. This is you. I'm not going to help you. And go, come on, come on, help me. No, I'm not going to help you. It's like throwing them in water and teaching them how to swim. And Don't you, drown. yeah, yeah. yeah you, well, you better <laughs> keep yourself afloat. Yeah, pretty quick. Yeah. And, and now no one's going to let you drown. Right. Yeah. But they don't know that at the time. They don't know that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the thing is like, if you've been through that yourself as an individual, you know when and when to. But at the same time, you always have to come back around to show them that you care. If you don't do that, then it becomes, then it becomes degrading. Then it, it, it becomes self-serving. And you don't want to create that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm sure, I know. I mean, you go to all your weddings and, you know, I, I relive these stories you guys mm-hmm. tell me. And that's what <laughs> these stories are about, you know. Yeah. Yeah. They get oh, back no. to those moments where you go, oh, I can't believe I did that. Boy, I got to go to confession and tell this yeah. guy, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. How many Hail Marys do you want me to say? So but, what's the funniest one you have? funniest story yeah oh you guys can tell uh the well it wasn't funny at the at time the, yeah, at the but time i remember was, that well it was one where i won't break down the whole story but it was one where there was an incident that happened off campus that our baseball program was accused of doing oh, I know we didn't I do it <laughs> but we paid the price and we came in a classroom so hot i'm looking i'm a freshman I'm you're looking. in the front row i'm like it's no way we did this. <laughs> like it's, it's not even possible. But I'll let you keep telling the story. Well, you're right, and because uh, he, he he finishes the story. But anyway, it was an administrator across the street that said that a Vanderbilt baseball there was two players did something to a, a waitress or mm-hmm. treated her poorly. Mm. Well, I asked mm-hmm. the question several times. I said, "Are you sure?" And the guy goes. They were wearing Vanderbilt gear. I said, our guys don't wear Vanderbilt gear at rest. He goes, these were Vanderbilt baseball players. Well, long story short, it wasn't. But we paid the price that afternoon because we did everything that these guys didn't want to do inside the football stadium for more than two hours. And it was continuous. (laughs) And so anyway, we got done with it. And Roe came up into the office. He knocked on the door. He goes, you got a minute. Now, I don't know Roe very well. I know him enough. He came to summer school, so I got to know him personally before the kids came in. But even as a young kid, and this is when I knew he was an old soul, he put both elbows on my table and he said, Coach, he goes, it doesn't matter what we did on that field today. He goes, you could have run us all day. He goes, I'm going to tell you one thing. 
there is not a player on that team that would have done what you said they did. And he was right. It happened to be a couple of other students that were in baseball stuff. Uh, but I remember before we went home for Christmas, I apologized to him because I felt terrible about it. I said, I, I should have known better. Uh, but at the time, I was so upset that we were tagged with that, mm -hmm. that, you know, our, our kids paid the price and they didn't they didn't need to. But I apologize to him. It was it was wrong. But this guy right here told me that right after we got done. And I, you know, I went to bed that night thinking about it and, and what he said. And uh, thank goodness we didn't do it. But we still ran for two hours. <laughs> I can't take that back. You did it. It, it took a while for the apology, but we, we appreciate it. Yeah, I know. I know. Oh, boy. I hope you forgive me. Now, I, mean, I think you can appreciate going back to, like, just tough coaching. Mm. You know, um, as a coach, you know to have that nice balance, balance yeah. of toughness and I'm still here. I'm still. I still love you. Yeah. You know, it's a tough. It's a balance of that. And um, as an athlete and those who have thick skin, mm -hmm. you appreciate it. It's mm -hmm. like I welcome it. It's right. like, and to me personally, like that's how I know the coaches care. Yeah. You know, right? Because if he's not coaching me hard, he don't really care like that. He he he's losing investment. He's losing interest a little bit. And so I kind of want. It's kind of off top a little bit, but maybe a few years ago it was an incident with um with Coach Izzo and a player. And it was very, so all over social media, and he was coaching this player very yeah. hard. Mm -hmm. And all the former players, like Draymond Green, for example, like it's, it's part of it, you know. But mm -hmm. people who don't play, right. they can look at him like, oh, he's doing too much. But me watching, I'm like, yeah. hell yeah, like get in yeah. his face, you know, like like that's what I like. like I like to see that, right. you know. That's part. Right. Of, that's part of the process. Uh -huh. Or don't don't play, exactly. you know. Like mm -hmm. we understand it, but like mm -hmm. you as a coach, you know. How do you like balance that? Like, what's your like views on that? And yeah, speak on that. Well, I mean, I mean, you coach towards your personality. Coach Izzo coaches towards his personality. You can, you can kind of. He wears his emotions on his shirt sleeve, mm -hmm. and the players they know him. Right. I mean, it was kind of like probably how the players knew Bobby Knight. They knew that there was a funny side to him. They knew there was a loving side to him. What he did inside of competition wasn't what he was all the time, but you only know that if you're in the inner circle. If you, mm -hmm. if you see that moment on, in a little capsule on TV or Twitter, you think, oh my gosh, I can't believe that's yeah. happening. But you know, the athlete, I mean, you look at your background, mm -hmm. there's a reason why you felt the way you did. I mean, yeah. you did have thick skin. You played for yeah. tough coaches. You played for a tough dad. You played for tough coaches. You came from a tough situation. You guys come from situations where you were coached by people who were demanding, not demeaning, but they were demanding. Yeah. And, but they did it with their own personality and they did it with their love too. And their love wasn't always with a silver spoon. Yeah. It was a firmness about him, <clears throat> yeah. but you were captivated by that because at the end it felt right to you because you knew that you were better in yourself too, kind of like the story I was talking about. So I think, you know, for, for us, it's finding the fit of student athlete that fits in our Vanderbilt environment, you know, and, and someone who has a teachable spirit. Mm -hmm. You guys know what a teachable spirit is and a teachable spirit is someone who takes correction as a compliment. You, to your point, you saw correction as mm -hmm. a compliment. You saw it as coach is bettering me. That's why he's teaching me in this in this way. But if you're defensive about it, through your years of growing as a student athlete, 
you just have never been confronted in that manner. Mm -hmm. So when it hits you for the first time, you say, oh my gosh. Um, and that's probably, and I know Ro and I have had a lot of conversations about this. When you think of amateur athletics, it's probably a lot of coddling of, of personalities. Yeah. And so when that time comes where someone confronts your behaviors, not that they're bad, but your behaviors on a court or on a field and says, no, this is how we, we move in this environment. And then you, you put up your walls and you, you, your defense mechanisms. That's where teaching stops because that's when the, 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 the teacher is going to pull away mm -hmm. because they feel like, well, you know, doesn't have that spirit, doesn't want to get better. I'll just lead them to my, to themselves, but that doesn't help the kid and that doesn't help the team. Mm -hmm. So I, I think being firm, uh, in, and, and helping young kids understand what a teachable spirit is and how it, it's for the betterment of their growth is, is something that certainly needs to be communicated, but certainly explained in a way where a young kid can experience the growth that he's going to get by going through those experiences. There was a time, actually, I'm going to go ahead and tell this story real quick. Because uh, you, you, you don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but it came back to, to bite me in my ass mm -hmm. later on. I think it was either, it might have been Super Regionals, I believe. But uh was playing Missouri at home. Mm -hmm. Might have been game two, game game one or game two? Game two. Game two, game okay. Two. And probably meeting in the classroom around 3.30, something mm -hmm. like that, I mean, classroom 3.30. So people don't know, you're there an hour before. So locker room is 2.30, report time. And early work is 1.30, mm -hmm. okay? So I'm down there. Everybody's down there. And it's probably like 2.40 at this point. 2.50 comes. Now it's like 3.15. And where's Harry? Where, 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 where's Harrison? It's about like 3.16. And Harrison's not in the locker room. Harrison's in the lineup, people, okay? Just so you guys know. Call him. I text him, and somebody, where's T. Brown? T. Brown's not here either, okay? And so, I'm like, this man's probably still asleep in his room. I run. I, leave. I mean, I'm almost in full uniform. You got, got the warm-up on. Run through McGugan, past the tennis courts, go to the dorm. I go into the room, kick the room open, because I'm mad now, and I kick it loud, and he doesn't even move. He still sleep in his drawers, coach. In his drawers, he cut up like this in his underwear. Wake your ass up. He's like, it's almost 3.30, and he's like, oh. Get his stuff on, we, we sprint down. I go get T Brown, he sprints down, and we make it in time, just in time for the meeting. And luckily, he gets two hits that day. But I had to tell that story. Now, fast forward to how it came back to bite me. It's super regional time. And so now I think Ham sends a group text to then I group me. And it's uh, 12 o'clock something. 12 o'clock. I read it as 11 o'clock. Mm -hmm. I don't know how. But I read it as 11 o'clock. And so we're in towers at this point. So we move out of regular dorms and we go to a different dorm come postseason time. And so I'm in my room. I'm asleep. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I get no test message. 
Actually, I, 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 I get test message oh, from Harry. I get, I get test from Harry. He's like, bro. He's he like, wake, wake up, da da da. Come, come. Then his uh, person at the time, she comes, she, she, she knocks on my door to wake me up. I'm like, oh snap! So I'm rushing, and luckily, Eater is down with his truck. I hop on the back of his truck, and he takes me to the field. And then the workout has already started. They're, they're in, the, they're, in the, they're working it already. Probably ten minutes in, and. I'm like, dang, do I go up to the weight room or do I just sit this one out? I'm like, I'm trying to, I'm weighing it out. Cause it's gonna look very bad if I walk in there at 15 minutes late. I'm like, but it's gonna look very bad if I'm just down here sitting down. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I gotta take it on the chin. So I go, that's a tough walk. That's a tough walk, man. I stood outside that weight room door. It's like, so I walk in, they working out and I see everybody's heads just drop. I'm like, God, dog, man. And then him, he, he's talking, he's talking. Mm. He goes, come here. He's talking. And then put him to the side. We go outside. Now we're close to your office, right over the nutrition room. And are you kidding me, Keanu? Are you kidding me? So I can't even talk to you. Go to your course. Go, go, to, go talk to him. I'm like, shit, man. Like, what? why? Like, why? You know? And so I'm like, all right, got to eat it. I'm walking to the, the thing. Your door is open. Like, Got him. He's like, "Yeah, Key, what's up? You know, he don't know. He don't know what's going on. Yeah, Key, what's up? I'm like, uh, uh, <laughs> <Stuttering>. <laughs> you uh got nervous. Yeah, workouts at twelve. I got there late. Yeah, his face is like, it's too late in the ball game for that, especially from you. You know, it's like it's too much harmony going on right now for that. And then it was a stern conversation. It was a quick, but it's like, all right, we gotta get past it. You know, but." I blame him mm-hmm. and everybody else for that because it didn't cross his mind to run the towers to come get me, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm, like, what ti- I'm like, what time did you, wow, that makes it even worse. I'm like, what time did you get to the locker room? Mm-hmm. Oh, I was there early. So you had more than enough time and towers is closer than Highland. More than enough time to come get me and you didn't come get me, man. So that, 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 that hurt, you know, I had to wear that on the chin. There's a lot of inner feelings coming out today. Yeah. This is oh, good. We, we, we talked about this yeah. a, a while ago. Yeah, you know, right. I was like, Yo. yeah, No, no, I take, I take responsibility for it. I did have somebody go wake him up, though, so I did not. He I didn't sent somebody to come get me instead of but running it's himself. Wor- somebody was there, so I was like, not the point. go I was wake Kiambu up, and we got him up. But you're, feel- you're both at fault, because that never happened to him. So, no, nah, that will never happen, but... I do. He 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 did learn from it because he saved me this year. At camp. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, let's get this story out. Get this story out. Thank so look, you. I'm like, yeah, we go wake up early in the morning, go work out. I have my alarm set. Well, I hear the alarm. I snooze it, and then he calls me. I forgot whatever time we were supposed to be there. It's like it's literally like 15 minutes before the meeting. I'm at the crib. I look at my phone. I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> I get to the field in like five minutes, rush and get there, sit in the classroom. He, he don't notice whatever, but I never felt that scared. I'm like, I'm I'm grown now. I'm grown. I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be this scared by this man. Yeah. Get there like heart rate still didn't go down to the camp, but. That's part of the I standard, he, though. I, he, I learned my lesson. He, he, he learned his lesson. Learned well, I'm, lesson. I'm, I'm glad, he, I'm glad I'm he got you. Little bro helped out. He, he, I'm, so, he I'm sorry, picked me bro. Up. I apologize. Yeah, but here's, here's the point that shouldn't happen. It, it happened somewhere else. You got two hits that day, right? I yeah. did, yes. So when did karma come back, though? Because karma had to happen. That came around. 
I mean, it does come around. We lost that game, so I mean, I guess you could there put you go. there. We yeah. did lose that there game, you go. but we won the Sunday, so. Still. Was we, that we the Sunday game? That I ran into the dugout. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Make sure we get that one out there. Well, we should have lost. We no, we shouldn't won. have. No, we shouldn't have, because I wasn't going to let that happen. Well, we. Oh, my God. Yeah. Equalized. But Super anyway, hero. we got what we deserved. So, mm, yeah, good story, Keith. I appreciate it. Yeah. I had to get off my Learned chairs, something man. today. Yeah. yeah. Nah, I want to talk about, you know, we got so many stories, and we told a couple yesterday, you mm -hmm. know, about you. But I think one of the ones that stick out to me, you know, we were, we were all working out. I don't know if you was there or not, but we were. On the football field, doing our conditioning, we're running, and it's one of those one of those times where it's like last one, you know. Of course, on the last one, everybody just hauls ass on the last one, mm -hmm. you know. And it's like, oh, you guys have all this energy left, you know. Whoa. And Corbs is like, damn it, guys, it's it's the ninth inning, it's three tied two. It he just tied up with a home run. Shit, sorry, yep. you know. We gotta go again, you know. So we go another one, last one, and then. Run back, he's like, guys, bases loaded, we just walked him in, you know, walked him in. We got one more, you know, and so many situations came up, he was like, oh, we hit it, we hit a guy, and it's like, one more, one more, where like I'm thinking this whole time, probably five more after a new situation every time, you know, and he's just so casual about it, just so like, shit, guys, I'm sorry, you know, and in my head, the first one, I was like, okay, cool, 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 I, I was expecting it, second mm -hmm. one, yeah. All right. The third one, I'm like, this man's what, an what asshole. What we doing? <laughs> <laughs> He's an asshole, you know. But after a while, you start to enjoy. It's like, dang, like this is, yeah. you know, it's cool, you know. But um, I just want to tell that because, and it kind of brings people together. It brings mm -hmm. you closer. I think like tough workouts bring people closer, you know. Like you, you hate it for sure mm -hmm. in the moment, but at the same time, you kind of enjoying it. You know, you start pushing each other, and um, team gets close, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also the point, though, of understanding it's never over till it's over. Exactly. You know, yeah. you uh, might have made the mistake by trying to put up a defining line, but it's mm -hmm. never over. It's yeah. never over till it's actually done. Done. Yeah. One hundred percent. Let's uh, let's talk about that twenty. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's talk yeah. about that twenty nineteen <sighs> fall because that's by far one of the best falls winter of my four years. You know, personally, but also as a team. You know, that was. The most locked in, like we've we've been in my four years in terms of just the harmony of the team, how together mm -hmm. we were. Like it was no hiccups; it was just fluid, and but it was also very competitive as well. Like very, very competitive. And mm -hmm. when we got into those scrimmages, it was like if you're not on my team, like I don't mess with you. Mm -hmm. Like even like till we got this field, like we're not friends, you know. And it was. Some, it was it was a situation. Jules has to pop up to end the game. Harry catches it, and Harry says, "I'm gonna say it. I don't care. You bleep it out. Get your bitch ass off the field." And you no, know, Jules, if we explain, is the nicest guy I probably ever met. You know, definitely. And he makes the quickest pivot and gets in here. What you say? And then bench is clear on this side. Our bench is clear, and we all just held it up right here, and it was like pushing and shoving. No, no, nobody threw a, a punch, but it was just like a lot of pushing and shoving. I'm like, oh snap, this is getting good, you know. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of dissolved, and then we get back into the locker room. Not locker room, we get back into the dugout, and you sit down on the ledge, and we all looking up at you. And you kind of quiet for a little bit, 
and you just look us in the eyes, and you're like, I fucking like that shit, you know? And then everybody starts laughing, we like, oh, hell yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but, uh, and also the, 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 the Jay Hen situation where he reaches over for a foul ball and no one helps him at all, because he's not on his side of the dugout. And we like, and he's like, he's still your teammate, you know? But to us, he was mm -hmm. like, nah, not, 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 not you right got the field. He's not, he's right not now. a teammate right now, you know? So did you expect that type of, like, did you expect to have that type of environment? Was it just, was it like what you cultivated or did you see all that type of stuff happening? Like, cause I think it just happened organically, mm -hmm. but also like you instilling like that type competition once we got into the field, like it's yours, like take ownership of, of that. And so uh, I guess just, just speak on just that type of environment that we had, you mm -hmm. know. You guys yeah. created that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that comes from within. Now it can be inspired by coaching and communication and teaching, but I think competitive environments are brought upon by competitive individuals. Mm. And if you've got competitive individuals in an environment, they kind of feed off of one another. And I look back at that particular team and whether it's any single one of you, um, you had older kids, they're more confident in what they were doing. And because they're more confident, they, they know how to roll. And you, you think of, there were some alpha personalities on that field. And because there are some alpha personalities on the field, there's a collision. It's almost yeah. like your own, your own family. I mean, uh, oftentimes when you have brothers, you collide with them, uh, but then once you do, it's all over with and you move forward. And I think when you have a team like that, I, I think I remember that moment. And to be honest with you, I, I don't recall what I said after in the dugout. I may have been quiet, but I also had an, a, a, a deep feeling that we're going to be good. Mm. Because when you feel that and you see that, you understand that they're willing to cross certain boundaries in a, in a professional way in order to stand by their teammates or mm -hmm. do the things that need to be done in order to have good, good, positive outcomes. Mm -hmm. And I felt like our team was, was willing to do that. I knew we were competitive. I knew we were confident, um, that I know we were going to be a national championship team. No, I don't think anyone knows that. And I think there's a lot of fortune and luck that comes into that. You're one team out of 300. Let's face it in baseball. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of weird things that can happen on a, during a season that can knock your chances out of progressing, uh, that it, it just happens that way. But uh, I, I just knew that we would give ourselves a chance. I felt like everyone on the field was quite competitive, mm -hmm. uh, combative on a, uh, uh, in terms of uh, competition, but Healthy. yet at the same time, very professional in the way of going about it. Yeah, we were talking about that. It's, it's, 30, it's 35 people on active roster, 27 travel. Mm -hmm. Obviously, nine get to play on the field, you know, and obviously everybody wants to play. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, you wouldn't be there, and you got a competitive spirit. But it's like, as a role player, it's like you, you attack – the training sessions, you attack the pregame BP, you attack the everything as if you are a part of that nine, even if you aren't going to be that day. Mm -hmm. And that's important as far as the locker room, because it's easy for the locker room to go left because you got a, a few bad apples or one bad apple mm -hmm. who want, who wants company and misery loves company. Like and now, right. it's a domino effect. And now the, the 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 season is gone because the locker room is gone. Yeah. You know, so it might be some people on the team that might not have con contributed physically in those nine innings, 
but in the dugout, we call it the bunker, in the locker room, mm-hmm. that kept things together throughout the season that allowed us to be as successful as, as we were. You know, so how do you get that message across? Because you, you, you hammered that home to us, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the year. Well, I think what's unique to our program, as you guys know, is there's playing roles and team roles. And you have to understand what a team <coughs> role is first before you understand what a playing role is. Because in baseball, with 35-man roster, and this happens really in any sport, but particularly baseball, there's fewer people eating at the table and more people watching those mm-hmm. people eat at the table. And when you're watching other people eat, you can do one of two things. You can be an encourager and encourage them to continue eating and be happy for what they're doing, or you can be someone that discourages that and is not happy for what they're doing. If you're not happy for what they're doing, then you're probably not part of the program. Mm. And I think what becomes more difficult, and you've, you've all of you at some point in time have served a team role, is understood that no matter how old you are, whether you're a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, it's your ability to find a role that can help the team win even when you're not in the batter's box or on the field. And I think there were pivotal and key moments initially in that season, we're talking about 19 now, that I saw where that was very prevalent, where kids were willing to accept those roles. I think about you when you weren't playing. I think about where you were positioned inside that bunker. And you were positioned in that gap, open gap, where you were right there. And even when we were showing, I, I did a classroom the other day, and I had visuals uh, of your team, but you are in every single one. And you're in every single one because you're front and center when that person's going through the plate to get to the mm-hmm. bunker. I think about Grisanti. And we went to Texas A&M. They had a lot of left-handed pitchers. Mm-hmm. And I told them before Thursday that mm-hmm. I wasn't going to be able to take them because they had a lot of left-handed pitchers. We had to bring more right-handed hitters. And I remember him saying, don't worry about my feelings, I'm fine. He goes, I'll stay home and I'll, we'll, I'll make sure that whatever workout we have with those other guys, it's going to go well. He goes, but I don't want you to worry about me. And I'll never forget him telling me that, like, don't worry about me, coach. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's unique. Yeah. But we go to Georgia the following <laughs> weekend, we bring Grizz. <laughs> It's a home run Boy. to win a game. First pitch. Yeah. And I thought, just any home run. That's karma. You know, yeah. it's like mm-hmm. he was there to serve the program. And you need people like that. You need people willing to do that because not everyone can play. When you've got that guy, when you have those kids that will take a step back and I'm here for the program, it's not easy. But when it happens, you know it's special. And when it's special, you put the team in a great position to have experienced positive outcomes. And we did on that team. Yeah. yeah, real quick. I remember in 18, I played I played a fair amount, but there was a, a stretch where I wasn't really playing. And I remember me and Corbs, we had a very – Corbs was on me a lot. My, my three and a half years, Corbs was on me 24-7. And this – I forget where we were, but we were in the bunker, and I was just standing there, and I wasn't playing that day. And I just kind of – I was just out of it. I wasn't really feeling it. And all I remember was he just came up to me and it wasn't like he wasn't mad or anything he was just like hey i need you to you need to fix your face like Mm. you need to i know you're not happy right now but you need to fix your face you need to be there for people 
And like to me at that moment, like I don't know how I would have reacted if he would have snapped on me and been come at me really, really came at me. But just the way he came at me, I remember I was like, all right, like he's like, your time's going to come. But right now you need to you need to snap out of it. Yeah. And I just remembered and like he said that. And I remember that year, end of the year, I, I was playing mm-hmm. every day and I was like, mm-hmm. dang, that's crazy. But it's like little things like that. It's like these kids need to understand. Strong like it's face. not it's not always gonna be your time and you can't who cares? Like nobody's yeah. gonna feel sad for you. Just Mm-mm. you figure it out and get away onto the field. And that's what I yeah. did. So that, I just thought that was really fitting for the moment. Give the, face I, the team needs. Yeah, that yeah. give the yeah, mm-hmm. give the yeah. team the face it needs. And I, yeah. I think that's why character is so important, is because having good character allows you to get through those moments and you know, I just think of what Jalen Hurts is doing now, and character has set his ceiling. It, it, it's allowed him to get to his ceiling, and he's still growing as a player. But, you know, you think in being removed in a national championship game, taking a second seat to a quarterback, now the incumbent, the guy who came in, you're sitting the next season behind him until you play in the SEC mm-hmm. championship game. And then when he was done there, he was done there, graduated there, and then moved to Oklahoma, I guess my point is this, is Jalen Hurts took accountability and responsibility for him not playing at that time just because he had to learn how to throw the ball downfield. And he wasn't equipped to necessarily do that. But what he did because of his character is he took accountability and responsibility for it, and he grew in that area. And you look at how he's evolved as an NFL quarterback, it's just a guy that, was he always skilled? Yes. Or not skilled, but he always had tools to play the position, but he became a better quarterback because character led him to that. It built his abilities because he took accountability for who he was as a player and he grew upon that and made himself a player based on that. And I just think that that's the part where when rather than we haven't really provided and created great environments for these kids to fall and get back up. We've created great environments for them to fall and escape and say, okay, there's a, there's an easier path somewhere else that doesn't help them long-term helps them in the short term, maybe, but it hasn't, it hasn't helped and won't continue to help amateur student athletes where falling and learning how to get back up is a skill. Hmm. And if, you always have a catch net, you're not going to learn that skill. Mm-hmm. And you, it, it's not for the betterment in, uh, in your life. Uh, you kind of just touched on adversity a little bit. Yeah, yeah that's what know, it is. That's big character, you yeah. know, thing. I want to finish up with, uh, uh, on a fun note, um, before you get out of here, we've all discussed, at least yesterday, how at least everybody through the program, at least in my four years, I think has been threatening to be kicked off the team at least once, you know. And like, if he hasn't threatened to kick off your team, he don't love you like that, you know. I'm like, I, I had it. Like, he just, just go, just go. Like right, right before practice, I remember training happened. Pull me to the side before we start throwing. You know what, man? I think you just go across the street, you know. Just, just go through academics. You know, this isn't for you, you know. And I'm just like, I looked at you. Now I'm good, Coach. Patch on the ass. Go to the outfield. We do our team drill. Five minutes later, we're joking around again. He's like, that boy. You know, so I'm, 
have you threatened almost everybody get, get, um, kicked <laughs> off the team at least once? Because so, I think everybody's gotten that, that talk you know, yeah, at least one time. Plenty of times. I probably directed them to do something else, yeah, <laughs> at some point in time where I feel like they're questioning whether or not they should be there. I said, fine, no problem, just yeah. leave. You know, there's something else you can do. You're better off somewhere else. This is probably too difficult for you. So it's just a, yeah. another way of prodding and challenging. We're yeah. going back to what we started <laughs> yeah. this conversation with. Uh-huh. Yeah, but mm-hmm. it, it's all healthy. It, it is healthy in the long run. There's a little sarcasm there, but at the yeah. same time, it's just testing their mind. But in the moment, you don't know if he's serious or not. It's not like, sarcastic like, in the it's, moment. It's real. It's like, dang. Yeah. No, he's it's real. He can't, he can't <laughs> be off the team. It's <laughs> a straight face and everything. It, like, you so need to serious. go home. Yeah, like, you good. Like, I don't know about that one, Coach. Don't got anywhere to go home. All right, man. We'll let you get out of here. Thank you, man. Yeah, thank you, guys. Great to see you guys. Yeah, this was great. Thank you. Appreciate you. you. Appreciate it. Like, comment, subscribe. Follow us. Follow Instagram, 2%. We just had the GOAT in the building with us, man. Uh, Thank you. Much appreciated. Peace.